Good morning, Hillside family, and welcome to worship this morning. I am John Williams. And I'm Leanne Williams. We have been members of Hillside for nearly 30 years, and Hillside is where we raised our daughter and our son, where we served in various capacities, where we've been growing spiritually, enjoyed fellowship, and where we worship. If you're new to Hillside, welcome. Please check out the many ways you can get involved throughout our website at hillsidedovenant.org. Also, please be sure to check in and register your attendance on the Church Center app. If you haven't downloaded it already, you can download it for free and locate Hillside Covenant Church. This is another way we can stay connected and get involved with the Hillside family. Given our current limitations due to COVID, this is the best way that we can welcome you. We would now like to turn our time over to Daniel and the worship team. Short to sing his praise. 
My weapon is a melody Say a little louder And heaven comes to fight for me Sing a little louder And I'm gonna sing In the middle of the storm Louder and louder You're gonna hear my praises roar It's now time for us to worship through giving. We appreciate all who give to God's work at Hillside. Your gifts enable us to continue our various ministries. If you were here at our annual meeting, you heard we are currently running at a deficit. Please continue to give and perhaps consider giving if you haven't before, so Hillside can continue to be light in our community. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness to us in the midst of hard times and good times. Help us to be faithful in return, both when we experience plenty and when we are in need. Receive these gifts and multiply them for our good and for your glory. Amen. Good morning, friends. It's good to be with you. We're going to be looking at a text out of the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And we're going to be talking about taking the mark of the beast. And in order for the text to come alive, for it to capture our imaginations and our motivations and our hearts, I want to give you some background on the city of Ephesus in order for the text to jump off the page and into our lives in the here and now. At this particular time in history, while John is writing this letter, Ephesus was under great tension and under the rule of the Roman Empire. This particular city was referred to as the gateway to the east. It was also the world center of buying and selling. During this time in history, it is believed that Domitian was the emperor, and Domitian was the emperor that demanded to be addressed as Lord and God. It's important to keep that in mind. One of the ways in which he enforced this 
worship was to control people's power to buy and to sell. And in order to buy or sell anything in this system, you had to make an offering to Caesar. And by doing so, you were acknowledging Caesar as Lord and God. Most scholars agree that after you would make this offering, you would take some kind of a mark, a stain somewhere on your body, maybe on your hand or on your forehead, to let everyone know that you had just come from worshiping Caesar, and so now you've been given the right to buy and to sell. Now, to the Jews who had become Christians, they didn't flow with this. They proclaimed that anyone who says, worship me, other than God himself, was someone who opposed God, an antichrist, somebody who was moving in a different direction. It's important to keep in mind, when you're reading the book of Revelation, to understand that this is what is called apocalyptic literature. In apocalyptic literature, the purpose of it is it's an unveiling. And we talked about that briefly last week. It's like a, a pulling back of the curtain to see what's really going on on the, the big stage in the whole universe. Also keep in mind, it's, in, it's important to refer to this book not as the book of Revelations, like, like I hear so often. Keep the S off the end. This is the book of Revelation. It's not a series of revelations. It's one grand revelation and that revelation is always pointing us to Jesus Christ. Now, in apocalyptic literature, they would refer to a person that did this, that enforced this kind of worship as a beast or as the dragon. So the question that was circling around the Christians in Ephesus was, do I take the mark of the beast in order to buy and to sell? Now imagine being pressed up against this kind of tension. You've got kids at home, responsibilities, you've got bills to pay, mouths to feed, and all you have to do is offer up some incense on these altars all spread out throughout your city that you lived in and take a mark on your hand. You don't have to really believe it in your heart. You, you simply do this in order to survive. Now think about that, that desire for self-preservation that exists in all of us as humans. The, the need to, to survive and to preserve my loved ones, how that would have created a great deal of tension inside of the human soul. I mean, after all, don't you think God would want us to take care of our families? Isn't that a, a responsibility that we take quite seriously? Now picture this with me. You're in a culture living like this. You've decided to become a Jesus follower, to be living in the way. And now you're part of this Christian community and you show up at the Agora, and the Agora is the place in which you would buy and sell, where you would buy food and product, or you would buy supplies for your family. And you go up to the booth to, to buy food for your family, and they ask you the question, where's your mark? In order to buy and sell, you would then have to go back to the altar of Caesar, and you would acknowledge that Caesar is God, and then you would receive a mark, and then now you could go and you could buy and sell. So the question would remain in this Jesus community is, do I take the mark of the beast or not? This is what life was like in Ephesus. Now, I want to read something to us that my hope, and I think its intent, is to capture our imagination, but it's also to root us in what is real. Something that's really important to keep in mind even today, it comes out of Revelation chapter 4, situated in verses 8 through 11. And in this particular section of John's letter, he begins to describe a, a worship service. It's kind of like a worship service going on in he describes these living creatures that are gathered around a throne and all these eyeballs and all these wings. And this is what they would say over and over again, all around the clock, day in and day out. 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And that's all they say over and over and over again. Then it goes on and it talks about 24 elders who would come and bow down at the throne of, of him who worships or, or him who rules forever and ever. And they would lay down their crowns and they would say, you are worthy of, of honor and glory and power. You created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. It's important to keep in mind that there is a perpetual worship service that goes on and on and on. It doesn't begin at nine o'clock on Sunday morning. It doesn't end then at 10.15, followed by a bridge gathering. It doesn't begin at 11 o'clock for the second one, in case you missed the first one. The worship service is always going on. Question is, is are we choosing to participate in it or not? It's not about a specific time that we set aside each week. It's a perpetual worship service that's going on. This is the, the grand reveal. This is what's already happening. Now, as Jamishan walked around the city of Ephesus, this was his headquarters, his uh, worship center in Asia Minor, and he held a scroll in his right hand. Now, this is significant. This scroll represented the ruling of Caesar. And on this scroll, on both sides of the scroll, it contained all of the divine names of Caesar. This represented his right to rule. He held the scroll of history in his right hand. Does this sound familiar to you? During his reign, Domitian also started a series of games, Olympic games, called the Domitian Games. 60 to 80,000 people would gather at these games to honor Domitian. And the games would always begin with leaders of various provinces to report and appear before him while he sat on his throne. So get this image. And he would say to these leaders, to you, leader of such and such a place, I have this for you. Here's what I love about you. And he would list these things. And then he would say, however, I have this against you. And if you don't stop doing these things, I'm going to come and I'm going to snuff you out. Then the worship would begin after this would happen. And all these priests dressed in white robes would lead the masses in worship. And they were wearing white robes. And then they had gold crowns placed on their heads. Now picture this with me. You're at the games with friends and family. And you see these priests dressed in white, gold crowns on their heads, people gathered around the throne shouting, Worthy are you, Lord of the earth. Worthy are you to receive glory, honor, and praise, to inherit the kingdom. You are Lord of lords, Lord of the earth. It's like, does any of this sound familiar to you? Now imagine this. One of the highlights of the games was what was called the horse race. And the horse race involved four different horses of four different colors. Does that sound familiar to you as you read through the book of Revelation? During those games, there would be these matches where gladiators would, would come onto the scene and they would kill one another. And after these intense matches, there would be all of these dead bodies lying in the ring. And this figure would come out to clean the dead bodies away. And this figure was referred to as the hero, uh, the hero of Hades. And in the ancient world, Hades 
was also referred to as death. So Hades and death would come out and sweep all of the bodies lying around away. So everywhere you went in the city of Ephesus, there were reminders that Domitian was Lord and God and that he was to be worshipped. And as long as you worshipped Domitian, life would go well for you. Domitian reveled in his glory. He even had a 27-foot statue resurrected and carved of himself placed in the front entrance of the city of Ephesus so that whenever you came into the city of Ephesus, the first image that you would see would be this huge statue of Domitian. Even the arms alone were nine feet long. So whoever came through Ephesus would know that in this particular city, Domitian is Lord and God. But Domitian had a little problem. There was this little group of people referred to as the way. They were called little Christs. In other words, Christians, these little Christs who were living in the way, and they were refusing to bow down. Now, Domitian was also the first emperor to understand that this little movement threatened the glory of his reign as king. And so he declared war on these little Christs who were living in the way. And he built altars throughout the city. And when he would go parading around the city, he would stop at these altars. And everyone would have to stop what they were doing and bow down to Domitian. And if you didn't bow down right there in that moment, he would kill you. He'd have you snuffed out. And this is how he planned to do away with these little Christs. They won't take the mark. They won't bow down. They have to die. John, the author of Revelation, was the pastor of the church in Ephesus. Now get this, the church in Ephesus was planted by the Apostle Paul. Not bad, good church planter. It was then nurtured by Priscilla, Aquila, and Timothy. It was then pastored by John. It was also the home to Mary, the mother of Jesus. Not a bad way to start a church. That's some pretty strong leadership right there. Now Domitian knew that there had, to be, there had to be some kind of leader that was leading, forming, shaping these little Christs who were attempting to wreck his rule and reign as king. And so he found John and he thought, I got to get rid of this little guy. I got to get rid of him. If I get rid of him, then the movement will just fade away. But I can't kill him because if I kill him, he'll be a martyr. And so what I'll do is I'll banish him to the island of Patmos. Over there, he won't be a threat to anything going on in my kingdom. And so he exiled John to the island of Patmos. And while John is on this island, he begins to write these letters to his beloved little Christ living in Ephesus. And listen to the words written in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake and that you have not grown weary, but I have this against you. You've abandoned your first love. Remember, therefore, from, whom, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. 
Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Now, do you remember the Agora? This is the place where you would go and you would buy and sell. And in order to buy and sell, you had to take the mark of the beast. There were these group of Christians who were saying to the community of Jesus followers in Ephesus, all you got to do is offer some incense, take a mark, feed your family. Trusting God is a good practice. We get it. But sometimes you can take that a little too far and be a little too extreme. You could die. Your children could die. They could end you. It's not like Domitian is really God. We know that. He's just a little insecure guy. Just pretend to worship him. Just get on with it already. Don't shake things up here. Bow and eat. Take the mark. And these people were called the Nicolaitans. And then it says in verse 6, Yet this I have against you. You hate the work. Well, this I have for you. You hate the work of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let me remind you of something that's really important here. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 through 2, listen to these words. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. Okay, you're at the Domitian Games, and there's Domitian sitting on the throne, and you're watching this whole thing going down. 60 to 80,000 people gathered in an arena. Revelation chapter 4, verse 3 through 4. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders, and they were dressed in what color? White. And had what on their heads? Gold crowns. John is writing to a group of Jesus followers in Ephesus, and he's reminding them of what's real. Listen to me. I've seen the throne of the universe, and guess what? Domitian isn't sitting on it. It's a fraud. He's not real. Now, this got me thinking about where we're at in history right now. We've got a lot of Domitians around us, demanding our allegiance, demanding our attention, demanding our lives. And we've got these powers and systems in our world that are telling us to bow down. And not literally, but telling us to bow down. In just a matter of days, we have this big thing coming up called the presidential election. And there are these defining moments in life where everyone around us is telling us, you've got to bow to this and you've got to bow to this. And we're, we're flying political flags. Jesus flowers, fl followers flying political flags. And we're forcing people to make choices. And the question I want to pose to us is, do I bow down with my friends, my family, or do I turn and go in the other direction and follow the way of Jesus? Am I worshiping Jesus? Does he have my allegiance? Does he have my heart and my attention? Is it Jesus who's ruling and reigning on this earth? Is it Jesus who is calling us to live in a particular way and be a particular kind of people? And I know the tension. If I bow down 
And I, I simply go the way of my family or my friends or my, my context or my community. I'll, I'll get loved and I'll get accepted by these, by these people. Or if I bow down, I'll get ahead in my business. And I, and I need to get ahead in my business right now. After all, in this kind of business, if you don't cut corners, you won't get ahead. Everyone else is doing it. It's just the way things work around here. Or how about this? Mom and dad, you don't seem to understand. Everyone in my world dresses like this. You don't understand how we talk. If you don't participate in gossip, nobody's going to want to be your friend. They're not going to think you're cool and they're not going to talk to you about anything, right? I have to do this or my friends are not going to think I'm cool or talk to me or want me to be in their circle. That's the way things are. It's like, have things really changed that much? I think we're surrounded by Demetians. And can't you hear John saying, and all those who have gone before us, don't bow down. It's not worth it. Look at what's really going on here. Do you know that after Domitian passed away, 85 to 90% of Ephesus was Christian? I mean, think about it. Somehow in this thriving metropolis in the Roman Empire, it became a central place of Jesus worship. These little Christs, these little people living in the way, didn't bow down and take the mark. They chose to live in allegiance to Jesus Christ, they chose the, the way of Christ. In order to win, you have to lose. In order to be up, you must first begin from the bottom. They understood that the way up was actually the way down. Everything was reversed because this is the kingdom of God that we're living in, that we're not interested in positions of power or gaining political reign. We're interested in serving the one true King, Jesus Christ. These little Christs, they didn't take the mark. They chose the way of Jesus. And the question I'm asking myself and I'm, I'm asking us as a community that proclaims to be light in the world, when are we going to get this right? Do, well, I mean, what do you think the Christians in Ephesus would say to us today? What kind of advice would they offer us here in the Bay Area? What, what would they say about the things that we get angry about or complain about? Let me get this right. You thought this politician was going to save our nation? You thought this politician was going to set things right? Who is ruling and reigning here? Let me get this right. You can actually worship in a public place and not get killed. The worst thing that's happened to you this last year is that you had to move to a digital reality in order to worship with other Jesus followers in your own home, but you can do so freely. There's this little little city in Asia Minor called Cappadocia. And it's an underground city that they discovered, two to three stories underground. And they realized that this Christian community built all of these tunnels so that they could gather and worship underground in darkness. And they would gather together and they, they wanted a place so that they could learn how to live in the way of Jesus for the sake of each other and, and to influence and shape the culture in which they lived. Can't you hear them saying to us, right now, you can worship above ground? What? You, you get to gather above ground in daylight? Let me get this straight. You have the living scriptures, the holy word of God. You have the spirit, the Holy Spirit. You have prayer. You have each other. You have this place where you can gather and worship Jesus, and you feel like you need something else. Or you want to worship, or you want to, or you want to argue about what kind of music style we do? Really? 
There's all these Domitians around. And we're faced with these Domitians every day, the, the Domitian of how thin you are, how rich you are, how popular you are, how much you've accomplished in life, the Domitian of how, how quick your tongue is to put somebody else down. You don't, you don't have to bow to that. The voices in our culture, the addictions in our culture, these voices that are screaming at us, telling us, bow down, take the mark, fill up that huge hole inside of you with something else. Stuff it down, bow and eat. Can't you hear John and all these Christians who took over the Roman Empire saying to us here right now, you don't have to bow down. You don't have to take the mark. You don't have to win. You don't have to be right. You don't have to be first. You don't have to have things go your way. Look at what he did. He made an, a really, really powerful emperor really, really mad. Let me read these words to you again. Revelation chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. You're never worshiping God alone, ever. Even when you feel like you're the only one out there who is not bowing down to the Domitians of this world, you are never alone. You have to tell yourself that every day. Open your eyes to reality. There is a worship service that is going on every day. And we've been given a choice. You can either participate in it or you can get swept up in other things. And we've got to be really careful as Jesus followers not to fall into this belief that somehow we're the ones who are getting the band kicking. No, we are simply joining in on something that's been going on for thousands of years. If you wake up tomorrow and you get to work and live and play in another day, begin by saying thank you for another day. Thank you that today I get to participate in this huge worship gathering going on. It's so big that you've got all these saints, 144,000 of them. Basically, it's too big to count. Jews and Gentiles, people of every background, race, every nation, every tongue. You've got all these living creatures with eyeballs everywhere and wings. And as you walk around creation, you see that creation itself is in perpetual worship. You've got the waves crashing against the shore, declaring the goodness of God. The rocks themselves are crying out. The wind is crying out. The earth is screaming. You've got all this worship going on. And you have a choice every day, every moment of every day. Do you want to bow down and go the way of Domitian and lose what it means to be human 
losing bits and pieces of your soul? Or do you want to find a whole life and go the way of Jesus? Do you want to live in the way? You don't have to bow down anymore. Do you know why? Because you've been shown who's on the throne. The curtain has been pulled back. What is real has been revealed to us. God is on the throne and we're going to make it, people. We're going to make it. May we be a community of people who are full of love and compassion, who are dedicated to living in the way. Little Christ who are moving throughout the earth, participating in the perpetual worship service that is always going on. Waking up in each and every day, realizing that today I get a choice. And I can either participate in what's going on, this great cosmic worship service, or I can bow down, take the mark, lose bits and pieces of my soul, lose the plot, get caught up in gossiping, complaining, and that perpetual incessant autobiography that is so easily swepting, sweeping us up. The choice is yours every day. You get to choose. Are we gonna live in the way of Jesus or are we going to get swept up, bow down and lose ourselves? I wanna invite you to think about the implications of this for us today. Whatever happens on November the 3rd, the 4th, the 5th, and beyond, whatever side wins or loses, we are part of a different kingdom, friends. We are part of the kingdom of God here on earth. We get to live in the way of Jesus. We get to love our enemies, not hate them. We get to bless those who curse us. We get to be meek. We get to live as peacemakers and not peace destroyers or dividers. We get to be poor in spirit. We get to live in the way of Jesus, even on November 4th. It's all in his hands. He holds it all together. Even when everything is crumbling around us, he holds it all together. Don't bow. Don't take the mark. Accept the way of Jesus. Say yes to Jesus, my friends. Hold on to him. Be of great courage. Understand that the spirit of the living God is living and breathing in you right now. Let's continue to walk in the way of Jesus together. Let's continue to be light in the world. Grace and peace be with you. Hello, Hillside family. I'm Stephen Weissong. And at this point in our service together, in our gathering time, we're going to move into our time of communion. So if you would like, you can hit the pause button and go and collect the elements of the bread, the, the juice. And so I'll give you a second to, to pause and go do that. Okay, well, we are in our time of communion. And when I think about communion, I, I think really there's three things that are going on when we approach the table. The first one is remembrance. Remembrance is happening. I, I always like to take a moment before I take the elements and I, I always just pause and I think, Jesus, 
I remember you. I remember what you did. And when we come to the table, that is one of the things we are doing. I'm going to read the verses in a, in a moment. And one of the things that Jesus says is, do this in remembrance of me. That's what Jesus said. So when we come to the table, it's about remembering. It's about remembering the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us on the cross. It's about remembering the ultimate display of love that God showed for all of humanity. It's about remembering that Jesus took the cross, but there's also the empty grave. And so Jesus is the one who is in control. And I don't know about you, but I know in my life, I need to remember that the things happening in this world, Jesus is the one who's in control. The things happening in my life, I need to remember that Jesus is the one in control. And in Jesus, I can move forward with hope and peace, knowing that he's with me. The second thing that happens when we come to the table is it's an examination. When you come and take these elements, it's a time to examine your own heart. It's a time to ask the question, how is my soul doing? Where am I at with God? Are, are there things going on in my life that I have left unsaid with God? And maybe those things are hindering the relationship that you have with God. And so it's a time to examine. It's a time to ask Jesus to put the spotlight in your heart of those things that you need to give to Jesus. Maybe there's some things that you just need to let go of and give to God, and maybe that will free you up. And so communion is a time for us to remember. It's a time for us to examine. And then thirdly, communion is about unity. When Jesus instilled the sacrament of communion, I, I just love that Jesus is the one who put it into practice for us, but Jesus did it around a table, and he was around a table with his friends and his followers. And so for you and I, I know it's crazy, in 2020, we're not around the table. We're not sitting in the church together uh, like we normally would be. But I just hope that you would know that there is hillside people all around you participating in this with you. We are still together. And when it comes to communion, we are coming to the table. We're setting aside our differences and we are looking for the things that we have in common. We want to find unity. The ultimate act of Jesus coming to earth was a unification mission. It was reconciliation between God and human beings. And for you and I, that same power, that same drive, it should be motivating us to find unity and reconciliation with each other. And the communion table is a place where we are reminded of that. And so the Apostle Paul was writing a letter to the Corinthians and he gave this instruction. He said, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this 
is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so my hillside family, as you take the elements this morning, may you know that the body of Christ was broken for you. And may you know that the blood of Christ was shed for you. And in this action that we take together, may we remember, may we examine, and may we think and find of ways to unite together under the love and grace of Jesus. Well, may God richly bless you and may you have an amazing day. Grace, what have you done? Murdered for me on that cross, accused in absence of her own. My sin washed away in your blood, too much to make sense of it all. Know that your love breaks my fall The scandal of grace You died in my place So my soul will live Oh, to be like you Give all I have just to know you Jesus, there's no one beside Jesus, there's no one beside you. 
circumstance just to be like you this is our prayer Lord help your people bless your people today and this week God in their walk in their family life in everything that they do bless them may they know your joy and your peace and your presence we pray in the mighty name of Jesus amen